thank you for being here. If we've not met yet, my name's John. Um, great, great to be with you this morning. And uh, we're talking about trusting God when it hurts. And, um, you know, the first weeks that we're going we're gonna to talk about this, we're going to talk a lot about, you know, why is there suffering? That's kind of, and then we'll move into more, how do we respond? So bear with me um, as, we, as we talk some of the why issues. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll, we'll get started. Our Father and our God, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for the great privilege of gathering as your loved bride, the church. And uh, would you help us today? Help us think through some of these really deep, important, and difficult things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, this, this past Friday, just a couple days ago, I reviewed briefly, I looked at the lead stories from the, uh, the Wall Street Journal, if you've read the Wall Street Journal, and what I came across, uh, here's just a sampling of, of some of the headlines, I read of Americans detained in foreign countries against their will, I think you could call that kidnapping or something like that, whatever that's called. Uh, I read of the death of a prominent American politician. I read about a strike between auto workers and automakers. Some of this ringing a bell, sounding, sounding familiar. Um, I read of a looming shutdown with our government. Um, I don't think that's been resolved yet. I read about flooding in New York City. Um, what else? I, I read about a money laundering investigation between a French billionaire and a Russian businessman. And I mean, if we were to drill down into uh, and dig deeper into the Wall Street Journal or the news, we would read stories of racism. We would read stories of terrorism, crime, war, poverty, slavery, or some human-induced environmental disaster. And I mean, that, that doesn't even include the suffering, the challenges, the difficulties that are represented in this room. Each of you, your families. As humans, we read about and experience suffering most every day. And here's the thing, one thing almost universally agreed upon, I think, pretty universal, I think we would all agree that it seems like there's something wrong with the world, right? I mean, we don't have to spend a lot of time in the papers or the news or even our own lives to know that there's something really wrong with the world. But what we can't seem to agree on is what's the root cause? What's the problem? What's the source of the suffering, destruction, and chaos that we experience around us? Now, I'm no doctor, right? I'm no doctor, but my understanding of medicine is that to truly treat and solve physical issues, medical issues, that you first have to understand what the root problem is, right? Like, I wouldn't want to give medicine 
for a stomach ulcer to treat someone that has a broken foot. So what we need to do is ask and answer the question, you know, what's really wrong with the world? Why is there suffering? And so let me ask you this question as we start. How would, how, or how do you think, potentially a non-Christian philosophy, religion, or a non-Christian person might answer that question? What's wrong with the world? What would be some possibilities that non-Christian philosophies, people, or even religions, how would they answer that question, do you think? Yes, Leva. There's a disbalance between the strong and the weak. Yeah, yeah. So one possibility is there's this inequality between the strong and the weak, an inequality of social classes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Emma. Like, what am I not doing to be successful? Or what can I do to be successful to the world? Or if they are religious, not Christian religion, they're like, what can I do to yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. Um, what am I doing to not be successful? Um, yeah, and, and maybe the root cause is, to Leva's point, you know, somebody's holding me down, there's some, yeah, injustice. Yeah, yeah, Willie. Like the song says, I did it my way. Everybody wants to do everything their own way. And, and so you're saying that's how a non-Christian might they're, they're saying what's wrong with the world is everybody's just doing their own thing. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, bring Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's going back, yeah. Flip Wilson, yeah. The devil made me do it. Yeah, I'm a victim. You know, there's, there's other things that are happening and I, 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 I'm a victim here. Yeah, yes, Suzanne. Okay, yeah, I think that would be a popular one in our culture today, that the, what's wrong with the world is greed, you know, money, and power. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I would say the big question is, what's wrong with me? Yeah, the, Louis said the big question is, what's wrong with me? And honestly, I'm not sure a lot of non-Christian uh, responses would be that. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe. So, excellent job. So, let me give you a list. I borrowed this list. Here's some possibilities. So we mentioned the inequality of social classes or weak and the powerful. The government, what's wrong with our world? The government, right? Poverty. Capitalism, right? You've heard that? Capitalism is the problem. A lack of education, not enough gun control. Religious extremism. Are these kind of ringing a bell? Again, the question is, how do people, typically non-Christians, how would they respond to the question, what's wrong with the world? Here's a few others. The internet. A lack of love, a breakdown of the family unit, gender or racial inequality, climate change. So here's the thing. 
the Bible would say these are symptoms of a deeper problem. So these are problems or potentially problems, but they're symptoms of a deeper problem. Not quite the root cause, just like a headache or, or stomach pains usually aren't the root cause. Usually maybe a headache is caused by dehydration or stomach pains are caused by food poisoning. These are symptoms of a deeper problem. So we've looked at how non-Christians might answer the question, what's wrong with the world or why is there suffering? How would, how would a Christian, what's a Christian response to this? And Louise, you kind of you already nailed it. Say that, say that again. What's wrong with the world? Why is there suffering? Yeah, what's wrong with me? So I don't know if this is apocryphal. Um, there's that story about G.K. Chesterton. Do you remember this story where the London Times ran, uh, ran a, uh, an editorial in the paper? This was, remember G.K. Chesterton, like turn of the uh, 20th century? And the question was, what's wrong with the world? And they had all these responses come back to the London Times. And G.K. Chesterton simply wrote, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. So, so really that does get to the Christian response, the short biblical answer to why is there suffering or what's wrong with the world is, in one word, sin or sinfulness. Let me just define that term for you briefly. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, and nature. Sin is any failure to conform to the law of God in act, attitude, and nature. So what that means is that sin is not only seen in acts, like lying, right, or stealing, but also in attitudes. For example, what's the 10th commandment? Thou shalt not covet. Coveting is a desire of the heart, right? It speaks to attitude. So sin is any uh, failure to conform to the moral law of God and act attitude and nature. Sin also includes our moral nature, our internal character that is the very essence of who we are as persons and that can be against the moral law of God. In other words, my, my resting state, my default state, instead of being love for God and love for others is centered on self. So sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God and act, attitude, and nature so what's wrong with the world? All of us have been infected with the sin virus, if we can say it that way. We've inherited corruption from our first parents. The great problem of the world isn't just what we do, it's who we are. Now, let me, let me expand on, on that and give you the longer biblical answer. 
about what's wrong with the world or why there is suffering. It requires a little bit more precision on our part, and we're going to talk about this. But really, I think the biblical answer to why is there suffering or what's wrong with the world are sin and its curse or why there is suffering. Am I grammatically correct? I'm not using an apostrophe here. Is that right? Sin and its, sin's curse, are why there is suffering. Did I do that correct? Yes. That is a minor miracle. <laughs> that is pretty spectacular. God be praised. Okay, so, so let's unpack that a little bit. Sin and its curse are why there is suffering. I'm assuming most of you already know the, the story of Genesis chapter three and how Adam and Eve uh, sinned, rebelled against God and how human life was, was cursed as a result. And so like I'm saying, sin and its curse are the biblical answer to the origin of human suffering. What you may not realize is that this story of the origins of human suffering also contains the seed of God's solution to suffering. Okay? So this story, we're going to unpack this, the story of sin and its curse, right? While, the, while being the origin of suffering also contains the seeds of God's solution to suffering. So we'll look at four things. And I got these from a guy named Ben Shaw. I thought they really summarized this pretty well. Uh, we'll look at these four things relatively quickly. Um, number one, because of sin and its curse, our relationship with God is broken or was broken, was and is broken. In Genesis 3, 22 and 23, we read this. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, most of you know this, Adam and Eve's relationship of harmony with God was broken. Where originally Adam and Eve enjoyed walking with God, communing with God, you, you remember what happened, they ate, and they were ashamed. They hid from God. Their relationship with him was broken. They're fearful. Uh, and subsequently, God expels them from paradise and casts them away from his presence. They're sent out. They're sent away. One, one author said it like this. You cannot enjoy the gift of paradise if you refuse the giver of paradise. You cannot enjoy the gift of paradise if you refuse the giver of paradise. And the fact of the matter is, um, we all distrust God and go our own way. We've all lived life apart from God. Our relationship with God is broken. 
Number two, our relationship with others is broken. Our relationship with others is broken. You remember originally Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame, right? They were naked and not ashamed. And immediately after, what, what, what did they do? They ate of the fruit from which God said, do not eat from it because in the day you eat of it, you will die. What happened immediately after they ate? What did they do? They covered themselves. Where before there was no shame, now their relationship is broken. Um, yeah, what else do we, we read? Adam blames Eve. And then God says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Here's part of the curse. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Um, here is the origin we see in Adam and Eve's sin uh, and, and, the, and the subsequent curse of the woman. We see the origin of suffering by disruption of human relationships. Rather than harmony in marriage, there will be oppression and tyranny. The joy of procreation is now accompanied by a multiplication of pain and danger. This is kind of an aside, but note that verse 16 says, your pain in childbearing will increase or multiply. This is just an aside, but that tells us that there was some pain even before the fall. But now it's suffering. Now it's dangerous. And the other thing is, we might infer when we think about the curse, pain and childbearing, perhaps the implication is that there will be pain beyond childbearing to child rearing. Okay? Although the curse is directed to the woman, it's important to see the broader application. We mentioned marriages are disrupted, husbands abuse, wives manipulate, parent-child relationships are disrupted. You know, we think of the talk of the generation gap. Maybe we don't talk about that as much as we used to. When I was a kid, that was a big deal. The generation gap, you know, conflict between generations. But really, if you look biblically, there's always been conflict between generations since this initial sin and the subsequent curse. We see in Genesis 4, uh, sibling rivalry quickly turns into murder. We see that marriages, families, and society is disrupted, but perhaps families suffer the greatest. One author says this, perhaps more suffering is generated within families than in any other social arena. Perhaps more suffering is generated within families than within any other social arena. It's a sobering thought. So 
So our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with others is broken. We're trying to ask the question, why is there suffering? And we're saying it's because of the original sin of Adam and Eve and its subsequent curse. And oh, by the way, we participate, right? All right. Number three, our bodies are broken. Our bodies are broken. Basically, we experience bodily decay, which terminates in death. Adam and Eve were cut off from the source of life, being cast out of the garden, right? They were cut off from the source of life. And Genesis 3.19, in Genesis 3.19, God says that the consequence of the curse of sin is that by the sweat of your face, he's speaking to Adam, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of the ground you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We suffer sickness, disease, aging, and we eventually die. In addition, the Bible also talks about death in spiritual terms. We've already said we've been, our relationship with God has been broken, but basically rebellion against God results in an experience of eternal death beyond the grave with no hope of heaven. And again, others have said it like this, as our creator and sustainer, God is the life support system we need to be plugged into. But if you unplug yourself from him, you will eventually die eternally. Okay? So our bodies are broken. And then finally, our world is broken. In Genesis 3, 17 through 19, God says to the man, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorn and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. The curse of the ground is symbolic of a broken world. Nature itself is spoiled and malfunctions in various ways. We see decay, destruction, in chaos. It's a reminder that there's something really, really wrong with our world. And as well, work, rather than being a delight, is met with resistance and unresponsiveness. Work is now difficult. And further, there's a disruption between humans and the world itself. We're often destructive toward the earth, disregarding pollution and harm to the earth simply for short-term economic gain. Yes, Willie. And if you watch the news lately, you'll see that, as it were, the earth is doing a little destroying itself right now. Yeah. The flooding and the and the fires and everything else is going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went to school in, in Butte, Montana. Montana Tech. Go ore diggers, yes. There's another ore digger here, yes, Sherry. So, 
If you, how many have been to Butte? Have you been to Butte, Montana? Anybody from Butte? Okay, I can say what I'm gonna say then. No, I'm good. So, so here's the thing. If you ever go to Butte, Montana, there's this thing called the pit, okay? Copper mining was a big deal in Butte. The pit, I don't know if it's still, but it was a mile deep. It's huge. It's kind of off to the side. It's filled with water. And it's filled, that, that's where I'm going. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's not full of water, but it's filling with water. And that water is incredibly toxic. There's, I don't know how many gallons, millions, billions. It's an EPA, it's an ecological disaster. And the EPA has no, there's no solution to this. So the, the water is incredibly toxic. My point is, you know, the relationship between man and the earth, right, has been disrupted. Often destructive, we've been destructive toward the earth, disregarding pollution and harm for short-term economic gain. Anyway, the main point of Genesis 3 is this. Sin and its curse is why there is suffering, okay? And here's another point of Genesis 3. Listen carefully. God has ordained suffering. God has ordained suffering. Suffering is not something outside his dominion or beyond his control. This, this class, um, we are working from a perspective where we believe God is sovereign. So there are many, uh, you know, if you've, if you've listened to some other apologetics, uh, you might hear what's called the free will defense of evil and suffering. That's, that's not the approach we're going to take here. God has ordained suffering. I think the Bible's very clear on that, and that's the perspective we're going to take. Suffering is not something outside of his dominion or beyond his control. I'm going to unpack that more in subsequent weeks, but that's, that's where we're headed, okay? So the origin of suffering is sin and its curse. That's why there's something wrong with the world. That's what's ultimately wrong with the world. But there is something surprising. Suffering is not merely punitive, right? That means punishment, right? It's not merely punitive, okay? Suffering is also meant to be redemptive. And I wanna show you a little bit of how that works. Suffering is not merely punitive. Suffering is also redemptive. Yes, God follows through with the consequences for sin, namely the curse or the curses for man's rebellion. But God uses this suffering to restore his creation and rescue us from the evil situation we produce for ourselves. God uses suffering to restore his creation and to rescue us. I'm gonna make two points under that heading. We see how God uses suffering redemptively in the curses themselves. And I'm gonna focus on two of those. In Genesis 3.15, we have the first announcement of the Redeemer. Some have called this the, 
the proto-gospel, the first gospel we hear in Genesis 3.15. God says this, he's speaking to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The language of, of going on his belly, right, and eating dust doesn't refer to how the serpent moves. It really is an image of defeat. That's really the point there. It's an image of humiliation and defeat. Eating dust specifically was an image of defeat. God says that the serpent will be defeated. The one who tempted Eve, the one who lied to Eve, the one who deceived Eve will be defeated. And God puts hatred between the serpent and humans. And the question is, why hatred between the serpent and the humans? And one guy says it like this. Dan McCartney says, God was not about to allow humanity to be Satan's tame pet. God was not about to allow humanity to be Satan's tame pet. What do you think he means by that? So God puts enmity between humans and Satan. Why the warfare? Ephesians 6 and the, war, okay. uh, the spiritual warfare. And uh, God desires us to use spiritual weapons in this battle. Okay. Our, our battle is not against flesh and blood primarily, but against rulers, principalities, powers, right? So here's what I think that means. When Adam and Eve submitted, in a way they submitted to the serpent, to Satan, they obeyed mm -hmm. the serpent. And so in a way now they're subject to him. And so God, what he's doing with the curse is putting warfare and enmity so that men don't have to remain subject to Satan. Yeah. Like also, it, God gave us the gift of free will. You know, you make your, your choice. Do I stand with the world or do I stand with God? And that's where like spiritual warfare hits in. Especially, do I want to be defined as what the world defines me as or am I going to take the stand or like the armor of God mm -hmm. to use as I'm not going to stand with the world I'm going to be outside of the world because I'm a part of the eternal realm that God yeah. Christ has given us yeah so yeah you have to make that choice yeah yeah we make we, we make real choices absolutely and we'll talk we'll talk more about that yeah Suzanne it's like a Two opponents instead of making it easy. Man is here, and you got Satan on one side and God on the other. He's not going to make it easy for Satan. Yeah, exactly right. He's not going to make it e easy for Satan, and he's not going to. He's not. He he's doing that so that we are not just stuck in that relationship of submission. Yeah. Was there something else? We have freedom in Christ. As long as we have Christ. He's promised that we can have victory over it. And, and that's where we're going next. So, so there's enmity. And, and like I said, one of, the, one of the quotes is 
Um, God was not about to allow humanity to be Satan's tame pet. And so God sets up a war between Satan and man by which and through which God will defeat Satan and free men from his power. And we see how he intends to defeat Satan, right? And free humans. He says, he, says, he this offspring of Eve, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this he refers to Jesus Christ. He will bruise your head. Jesus crushed Satan's head by his crucifixion and his resurrection. And yet, even though Jesus defeats Satan, we read that Satan will bruise his heel. That victory will be accomplished through suffering and death. Satan will bruise his heel. Here's the thing. In a war, even the victors experience suffering. So, all that to say that there is, in God's curse of the serpent, we see that suffering is not merely punitive, it's also redemptive. Through suffering, through this warfare, God will bring the Redeemer who will ultimately defeat Satan, suffering, and death. Here's one other thing. In Genesis 3, and 23, we read that Adam and Eve are expelled and denied access to the tree of life. We read this. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden. And the point here is that if Adam and Eve would have eaten from the tree, they would have lived forever in a, in a state of separation from God. Okay? And so... God allows suffering and death so that Jesus Christ can take on suffering and death in our place to reconcile us back to God. Yeah. What an incredibly merciful act that God did to prevent us from being stuck in the eternal simplicity. Yes. His redemption, even kicking them out of the earth. Yes. And that, that's, that's the point I want you all to see. And how amazing that he would take on flesh and experience the curse. I mean, suffering, heinous death on a cross, death, resurrection. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, so, so suffering and redemption. So here's the thing. Why is there suffering? I think two reasons we can say this. Two reasons that there's suffering and death. Sin and its curse, we already said that. And then I think the second thing we could say is because God wants to restore his relationship with humans. Now, I'm going to just admit that that suffering is still evil. And we're still left with the question of how can God allow it in the first place, right? I mean, we're, we're drilling down. We're asking the question why we've, we've shown from the Bible that it's because sin and it's curse and that God wants to store his relationship. But the question, if we drill down further, how can God allow that in the first place? And I think the honest answer is there's no complete answer.
to that question. I can't give you, um, I can't just give you a snappy answer to that question. There's mystery here. Um, I am going to say two things, though. I'm going to say two things, but I don't think either of these will completely satisfy your, um, your desire to know why would God allow evil in the first place. So one, one answer we could give is this. Um, the presence of sin and God's redemption in Jesus reveals God's glory in a way that it seems like wouldn't be revealed any other way. In other words, we see God's incredible compassion and mercy. We see the fact that he would take on flesh and take on you know, suffering and the curse on himself. We see to a greater degree his love. We see his justice that he's willing to take on his own uh, righteous wrath. Kind of like in Romans chapter five, Paul says, now the, la- the law came to increase the trespass. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with the law, but our, our, our sinful hearts experience the law and it kind of increases sin in the sense that, oh, you told me I can't do that? I'll show you, right? And so it increases the trespass and then we read, but grace abounded all the more. And so we see God's grace even more clearly, okay? That's kind of the point we could say, well, why does God allow suffering in the first place? Why does he allow evil in the first place? Potentially to reveal his glory uh, even more clearly, yeah. Sometimes out of desperation and suffering, it causes us to cry out in a different way. Yes, yes. We wouldn't understand the forgiveness and glory if we don't suffer. Yeah. We don't experience the negative. We can't experience the positive. Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. I, I think I think that's true. I think practically speaking, um, I'm thinking of Deuteronomy. Remember in Deuteronomy when the, the, the nation Israel is going into the land? I think it's chapter 10 where God says, you know, when you have these houses you didn't build, this food you didn't, you know, work for, your temptation will be to, to forget the Lord. Yeah, when things are going well, oftentimes we, we do tend to forget. So that, that would be maybe a practical um, you know, benefit if we can, I hate to say it that way, but yeah, yeah. Another, another reason we might, some uh, medieval theologians um, talked about intimacy with God, like, God allowed evil and suffering. Um, potentially, there's a greater intimacy with God. And what that means is God, the eternal son of God, took on flesh. And by faith, we're united to the God-man. Potentially in a way that, you know, the communion that we have with the God-man, Jesus Christ, um, is is wouldn't have been otherwise, I guess, would be how we would say it. Willie? In a sense, it takes away the distance. Yes, God is holy and absolutely beyond and above anything we can have, and yet at the same time, he became one of us. That really has, it develops that intimacy more. When I have a bad day, I can speak to him as Jesus saw bad days. 
Yes. There's a closeness. Yes. Well said. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who is tempted just as we are, yet without sin. And then, and then it goes on to say, so therefore, you know, boldly go to the throne of grace in our time of need. Dan. Christ's suffering showed something about the nature of God's love. Yes. Um, it's, it's when you don't suffer, giving is easy. But when you suffer, it's a lot harder. Um, and, and Christ's suffering shows us something about that. And Paul prayed in Philippians 3, 10, that I might know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Yeah. And there's something about Christ-likeness that seems to require suffering. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Kathy? Yeah. And with others, I think that, that yeah, like, like you say. So, yeah, I, I, I got to move on. I've just got a couple of minutes here. Um, I wanted to talk. We'll, we'll talk about this, this later. The, the Bible's clear. I, so, like I said, I don't think these two answers um, are, are going to provide any kind of, uh, you know, full and final answer. I think there's a lot of mystery here to why God allowed suffering uh, to begin with, but these would be a couple of, of ways to try and answer that. Um, God allowed suffering. He ordained it. Ultimately, God has control over evil and suffering. If he didn't, then evil is only senseless and meaningless, and it doesn't even make any sense to ask the question, why is there suffering? Here's what I mean by that. If, if, if God isn't sovereign over it, you, you may recognize the name Richard Dawkins, right? He said this, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. If that's your worldview, then to ask the question, why is there suffering, is nonsensical. It makes no sense. Because to ask the question, why is there suffering, presupposes there's good and evil. And that this thing we call suffering is bad. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so the atheist really doesn't have a good answer to the question, why is there suffering? Why is there evil? Okay, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, okay, I want to finish this because I think this is important. Um, here's the next question then, just practically speaking for us. Is suffering the consequence of our own sin? Is our own suffering the consequence of our own sin? And I'm going to give two answers to that. The first answer is, 
Suffering is sometimes the direct consequence of our own sin. Sometimes. Galatians 6, uh, verses 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Uh, the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, as you know, is a book of truisms. Not promises, but truisms. It basically says, this is generally speaking how the world works. Generally speaking. Okay? So for example, Proverbs says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This idea that there are moral laws. God has built moral laws into his creation. And that generally speaking, if you're proud, that's going to go before a fall. Right? Okay. But not always. And that's the second answer to the question. Suffering is often the sin of someone else or even no one in particular. Or even no one in particular. The Bible is full of examples. Joseph, Moses, think of early King David, right? I mean, we can, we can go through list after list. Jesus, Paul, these all suffered not because of the consequence of their own sin. The Psalms, right? We read the Psalms. I'm thinking of Psalm 73 where the psalmist says, in vain have I kept you know, have I, have I been righteous? Because he's looking around and he's saying the unrighteous are, are prospering. He's like, what is going on here? And Ecclesiastes basically talks over and over about the uncertainties of life. Just because you're wise, just because you're righteous doesn't mean you will um, experience good. So suffering is sometimes the direct consequence of our own sin. Suffering is often the sin of someone else or no one in particular. Jesus said this in Luke uh, 13, 1 through 5. He, he makes the point that the Galileans whom Pilate had murdered did not suffer because they were especially wicked or sinful. They suffered because suffering is the lot of fallen humanity. That's all of us. Jesus says, or we read in Luke, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them. Jesus says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Suffering tells us that there's something wrong. And like you've already pointed out, suffering often wakes us up to our need for God and helps us to be concerned for other people. Um, and here's the thing. I guess the last thing to say is the fact that there's so much suffering gives us some indication 
of the magnitude of the wrongness in the world and the enormity of human suffering. Like it should remind us of that. And, and the cross, oftentimes we look at the cross and we say, why did Jesus have to experience that? It all speaks to the enormity, the magnitude of our sin and our sinfulness. So we looked uh, today at the question, why is there suffering? We explored the origin uh, of suffering found in Genesis 3, and we, note, we, we, we noted that God has ordained suffering uh, to restore his creation and to rescue us. And I guess the thing to leave you with is in the suffering and death of Jesus, he has taken on our human sin and atoned for it. Um, he's reconciled us to, our, to himself and he has reversed the curse. I was going to have us read Joy to the World. It's, it's actually not a Christmas song. It's not a first Advent song. It's really a second Advent song when Jesus returns. And I love this verse here. When Jesus comes back a second time, we can sing, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Let me pray for us. Our Father and our God, we thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that it speaks deeply to the real issues of life. Thank you that it tells us very clearly what's wrong with the world, why there is suffering, and thank you that it even then points us to your merciful, gracious solution. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Help us to press into him this week. We ask it in his name. Amen.